Welcome back, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and historian Mike Ricksecker. With me, as always, my co-hostess, Vanessa Hogel. We have a fantastic show coming up for you tonight. Adam Davis, he's a cryptozoologist, world explorer. He's been really all over the place. Just recently here on the Alaska Triangle, same show I was on, uh, you may recognize him from the Harry Man episode, which we are going to get into. And just a great guy. So, Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Lovely to meet you both. Yeah, yeah, great to meet you. Right back at you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, Adam, you know, I just kind of want to launch into, I know I do want to start, you know, kind of with the Alaska Triangle because we were both familiar with that, uh, being on those particular episodes, Harry Man. But before we get there, you know, kind of that general question, what what sparked your interest into these type of creatures and the type of phenomena that you travel the entire world to go see and to explore? Well, I was always, as a, well, two things really formatively happened. First of all, I had a sister that died very young of a form of cancer called neuroblastoma. And what that taught me at a very young age was that you shouldn't take things for granted. You never know what's around a corner. And so I wanted to maximize life. I decided I'd make the best out of what I could, even at that early age. And the second thing was I, I was doing what I enjoyed. So I always had a love of nature. I loved tracking animals, not hunting animals. There's a difference. Uh, and I loved being outdoors and doing all of those things. So I read accounts of exploration and explorers when I was younger. And I decided and it was a question of guts, I thought. And I thought, well, I love all this stuff. And one thing I do possess is I've got guts to go and try this. I've, I, I've, got, I, I've got that and I can go out and do that. So it was a combination of those things. And then Obviously, I went off and now, you know, I've done all these TV shows and been all over the world and done these things. But it was it was determination, really, to make the most of my life with the gifts that I had in Synopsis. Oh, fantastic. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think does. that's a, a good way to live life. Now, I have to dive right in because I have been Go ahead, chewing. Vanessa. I've been chewing on this question. Okay. So because I watched, <laughs> I watched the Alaskan Triangle because, you know, I mean, I started because I knew that my publisher and co-host was going to be on it. And then yes. I saw the episode that you were on hmm. and the, the Harry man episode. And I was very interested in that. And I'm going to tell you why mm-hmm. I'm very analytical. I analyze everything if at hmm. all possible. And I was watching as the footage was happening and as the show was happening and I've, and I taped it, I have went back and rewatched and rewatched and rewatched to see if I could see something that maybe somebody else didn't. And I think Hmm. I did. And when you, um, when you guys are very close to the end of what is perceived to be your filming Mm -hmm. there um, at towards the end of the show, there is the, um, the, the cams that you had, like the, the, the trail cams. And yes. And you were, y'all were looking through those to see if you had found anything. And I saw something very interesting. If you look at the footage from the trail cans and the one that is shown on the travel channel to the left of the furthest tree on the left, the outside angle of it, there is movement that doesn't match the rest of the movement in the cam footage. Period. So you're, you're saying that there's some sort of distortion. Yes. In the and it made me wonder if the hairy man, the Yeti, the the um, the Bigfoot, whatever it is, if if they are a master of disguise or camouflage, and 
immediately when we think of something like that in the animal kingdom, we automatically go to the reptiles and the chameleons and things like that. But there are mammals that can do that too. Yes. So. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a good point. Now, to, to, to cut back, obviously we were talking about the hairy man and, and obviously the stories of the hairy man. And maybe I should just very briefly say that the, the reason that we did this episode and we went into Alaska is because this town was abandoned mm -hmm. in the 1950s because something that they call the hairy man started to kill people. So that's the, that's the setup. Now, when we think about this, yes, there are some creatures that do camouflage and there actually are Alaskan legends we talk about hunters coming across creatures which seemed to be hominid which seemed to camouflage itself very well and only very recently uh vanessa and mike they got a in fact three weeks ago i got a email off some and when i go back to alaska i'm going to investigate this uh, i'm not going to reveal the details not because i'm being trying to keep it it's just because it's right now mm -hmm. uh, but he or a creature uh, which was a hominid type creature, which did just seem to be perfectly camouflaged, seemed to be a master of disguise, and that would be that would be perfectly plausible. I mean, it's fascinating. It has to be. Mm -hmm. You know, you think of accounts of the snow leopard. I was in Mongolia, um, and I was in a reserve area with this guy whose responsibility was to look after it. He said, you know, I've been here for 30 years. I've been looking after it. And I said to him, well, how many times have you seen it? And he said, oh, I've seen it once. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, yeah. so, so be, I would be very interested, sir. I mean, and firstly, thank you for being so thorough. And we'll thank see what you. you come up with. If you yeah. could email me that or, you know, maybe we can discuss it and see what we can Absolutely. find. Absolutely. And the reason that I found it so fascinating is because when you listen to somebody talk about their experiences in regards to searching for one of those cryptids, um, they see it in the distance and they, they may or may not try to go towards it, running or walking, whichever way. Um, but as, and it just seems to disappear. And I know that we've played around, Mike and I on previous shows have played around with the idea that there quite possibly could be porters. They could be not, you know, mammals as we know ourselves and others to be, but something that is of, of, of a, a, you know, completely different, universally different. And that maybe they're coming in and out of portals. And that makes sense. I get it. But what also makes more sense to me is something that just says, holy crap, I see people. Let me disguise myself. They're going to walk right past me. Well, let me let me <laughs> give you one one specific example, which corroborates um, your idea of them just being masters of disguise. So when I was in Sumatra, I was looking for something called the Orang Pendek, which is often as a jungle yeti it's a bipedal mm -hmm. uh, primate it's basically this is my theory it's basically a rang a rang a tang which mm -hmm. has evolved parallel evolution to walk like a human yeah so mm -hmm. that's what it is but i there were two eyewitnesses i was with who for want of a better word we heard some commotion in the jungle some noise in the jungle and uh we have to be careful in these situations place with the highest concentration of tigers in the world so you can't wow. just like trawl off on your own you know i mean there are people <laughs> there are people killed there every year uh, or every few years by tigers is that you've got to be really careful um so i went one way with one guide and a friend of mine went the other way and the idea was to come onto it mm 
So the two that went to the right, as I went to the left, they saw it, and what it and and what it did was it it flattened its face perfectly like that. So it was like this, and so I was going like that. Nobody take a nobody take a photo of me as I'm doing this right now, scaring children. It basically went like that. And it flattened itself and he, and they didn't take a picture because it, it seemed like it disappeared. And then boom, it was gone like lightning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the same thing happened to a friend of mine called Jeremy Holden. Now, Jeremy Holden's a really great wildlife photographer. Uh, for me, he's one of the he's the best one of the best in the world. And the first time he ever went into the jungle in Sumatra, um, one of these pictures, he got a fleeting glimpse of it, and he didn't take a photograph of it because it was so fleeting, so quick. He didn't get his camera up in time. Boom! It just like merged in. He just said it was just evaporated away. Mm-hmm. And he spent ten years in, in Sumatra. Um, trying to recreate that moment you know because it, it had eluded him and he's taken many different photographs of new species so yeah your your uh, your theory is perfectly plausible it may be this we'll see have a look good job thank you see not just a hat rack y'all not just a hat rack <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's something that I have to ask you kind of um, mentioned it earlier about that, that uh, individual only seen something once and you know, I, I do a lot more with like ghosts, shadow people, that sort of thing, which we seem to see a lot more often because a lot of these were once humans. So, you know, how often do you see these type of creatures? And if it is so rare, how do you keep up that type of resiliency to keep going out there day after day to, to try to explore in, I don't know if capture is the right word, but be able to research uh, more uh, of these type of uh, entities? Because for me, I want answers to questions. It was never, you know, it, 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 it's an intellectual pursuit in, in a sense. It's not for let me cut back slightly because the first question you asked me was about my childhood and how I got into it. So I was doing it regardless. I was never interested in television. That happened to me accidentally. I, I like mm-hmm. it and I do more of it because sure. it gave me an opportunity to go and do this stuff anywhere. Um, so, but it was, it was a byproduct of what I was doing because I had some, I found some evidence which was of scientific interest, particularly the orang pendek. And I also saw the serpent, uh, Norway, not Loch Ness monster, but right in the sense that in, I mean, I know, I know you're looking at me thinking that guy's only 28. I'm not, Mike. I'm not. I'm older. <laughs> I was thinking and, 26. And, 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 you know. You see, you see, I'm coming on the show again. No, but, but I, it's over. It's over 25 years of, of research I've I've done. Mm-hmm. I probably there's probably in in this particular field. I'd say I probably see, well, I've seen the cellular serpent. I saw something very strange in Oregon. And um, I've had some evidence of, of a few other creatures. But I've only really seen two things that I can think of right now, which were really, which I could say of, a, of, a, of an mystery animal were significant or interesting in all that time. But um, I don't do I do I do it because I'd like to gather scientific evidence, but it's an intellectual pursuit for me. I'm particularly interested in hominids uh, of all creatures because I think if we can find some evidence of them, 
it might teach us a lot about ourselves. And I'm interested in the level of sentience of those creatures. So the reason I persevere is be I have a good time. You know, don't get me wrong. I have a blast. Sure. I've seen things. I've been all over the world. I've seen stuff that and been to places that nobody else has seen sometimes. You know, I've had a, an amazing time doing all of these things. And most of the time on my own money. So that's why I don't have a fancy car right now. Uh, <laughs> but but, but um, yeah, it's really about ancestor questions that i had myself and that's and i think I'd, i'll do that as long as i can you know so so there you are but it's not a lot different than the paranormal field people ask us you know you can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that this exists or this exists um okay <laughs> if i if i can get to that point ever where that is an option great but I'm, that's not why I do it. It's very much like what you're talking about. It is, it's a passion of mine. It's something that I am very comfortable doing. I, I get a rush out of it. And there all, all the different reasons that maybe people would choose to do skydiving. I do this. You yeah. Know, it's that I, simple. I think, that, I think I'm probably blessed in the sense we're doing when we're looking at mystery animals is I, I understand with the paranormal it's extremely difficult to quantify there's no true measurement according to the best of my knowledge of how you would define a ghost even as a starting point but i think i'm slightly more fortunate in that respect is that i can and i have brought back potentially quantifiable scientific data of some of these creatures which may move the story on but you know in all of these things the the the, the tangential link if you like is that extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof so i've easily gathered enough evidence for the orang pendek's existence in sumatra with prints and hair samples and the like for it to if it was a new species of frog it would be no problem but because we're talking about a, a jungle yeti in inverted commas, it has to have a very high standard of proof. And that link with your field, if you're trying to prove the existence of ghosts, you would have to have independently corroborated and measurable data. And that's hard to do when you don't even know as a starting point, how do you begin on that, I would think. Um, so yeah, the, the, there are links. I think it's slightly, I mean, it's not easy, but it's slightly easier uh, in, in my field and probably in yours. That's just my perception. I don't know, but that's just what I think. Well, um, I can pretty much guarantee you no place I'm going to go is going to have me chased by tigers. So <laughs> I'm going to beg wow. to differ with you on that one. <laughs> okay. It would be, it would be an adventure of a lifetime. It you might not be able to tell anybody, but yeah. It would be, and you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and lay it all out on the record. I am yummy, and I don't want to be chased by a tiger, okay? <laughs> so, um, but that does bring me to the other thing that I wanted to ask you about. Um, I watched one of your interviews in regards to this. I want to say I, it wasn't in Sumatra. I don't think it was. I think it was, was, I think it was in the Congo, but I could be wrong on that. The Mukele Mumembe. Yay! Good pronunciation. Wow. You nailed it. Look at that. Impressive. You wanted to say that to me. You wanted I to. <laughs> <laughs> I got it right first time because because the dude that took your interview, he had to try like six, seven times, and it still wasn't working. So I'm like, no. There you go. There you go. Mukele Yes. <laughs> I want to know. Say that five that. times fast. Mm -hmm. No. 
Perfection only takes <laughs> once, baby. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was proud, <laughs> but I was interested in that. Was that in the Congo? Did I get the location right on that? That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. right. That's an that's an extremely difficult place to get to. So mm -hmm. not only when I went, I've been to the Congo twice and there were civil wars going on. I mean, I could tell you many stories. There were civil wars going on. I was shot at across the Umbangi River. I crossed this place called the Lakula Swamp, which was regarded as hell on earth by uh, Colonel Blashford Snell, who's one of the greatest living explorers, and it was, it was, it, it was awful, Vanessa, to get there. But when I did get to Lake Tele, which is the home of the Makila Mambe, then it was wonderful. I just, I should say, the Makila Mambe is there are stories about a, an alleged living dinosaur in the Congo, um, so that was why I went to investigate it. But it was an incredibly beautiful place, but also extremely, extremely dangerous. Yeah. Now, did you find any evidence of that, um, or, or is it mostly the, lore through the through the communities? Well, yeah, yes and no. No, the, the nearest the nearest society uh, to connect. I played drums with the pygmies, which I really loved, which was very oh cool. wow, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, so, yeah, I enjoyed that. That was cool. Then there were a few cool moments, but let me answer your question specifically. So. The way the society is divided is you have notables who are the uh, ancestors and they are keepers of the records, if you like, because at that time it was a tribal society. Things weren't written down. These people were still traveling barefoot with mm -hmm. spears, you know, when I went there. So like um, tribal orators. Yeah, tribal orators. Yeah, exactly. And or um, shame, the shamanistic culture. Mm -hmm. So you would be in that sort of grouping, you know, that, mm -hmm. that would be the sort of thing that you would do. Uh -huh. there. And they had um, a chief, which was an elected official, and they were, they served as, as officials. But I think they were, I think that the chief was there for about five years. Now, the notables were the keepers of the, of, of the records of this. And it was an honor, considered an honor to see it. And, and uh, you know, a few of them had seen it and they described what it looked like. It was quite interesting, really. So the short answer to your question, did I have any, did I bring back any evidence that could be scientifically analyzed? No, I brought back a lot of anecdotal accounts, um, which were interesting. And what they said was that the creature itself, the female had no horn on its head, but the male had one horn, a single horn on its head, and it was extremely aggressive. And it lived in the sort of waterways around the area. Uh, but it was, it was very rare, but it would attack you. Um, if you stumbled across it. It was not to be messed with. Uh, but the area itself, people sometimes say, well, you know, um, oh, these places have been, the, the, every, people have been everywhere. But let me tell you, like Vanessa and Mike, I flew over this area in a little Anatolf plane, and it's the size of Switzerland, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's nobody there, nobody. A few Pygmy wow. tribes and a couple of Bantu tribes on the edges of it. There's nobody for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles in this area. Very few, no idea what's down there. Seriously, very little. And there are places like that all over the world. I went to this place in India, this this jungle, um, looking for a creature called a Mande Barung. And when I was there, I had to go and see a government official. And this is a vast jungle, that, you know, in the Garrow Hills. 
and I had to go and see this government official and I said, well, you know, what, what's there? What would we need to look out for? You know, and as I'm doing all the paperwork and he said, we have no idea, man. We've not been in there like 80% of it. Nobody has. Right. So, you know, I mean, 70% of Nepal, there's another country. I don't want to throw out endless statistics, but just I want people to understand that they often think that there aren't wildernesses out there. Now, Mike, you will know from Alaska, that's there's big swathes of Alaska which are a wilderness. Oh, yeah, it's massive. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's massive. People yeah. don't realize how large Alaska is, and there are really, really remote areas that we're just really not familiar with. We don't know what's out there. In fact, your episode, the, the tail end of that, got into the woolly mammoths and the possibility that there may possibly still be some woolly mammoths out there because of how vast and uncharted it really is out there. Well, I, I certainly, I mean, you know, I, I do think if I, if I go to the hominids, I do think that Alaska is a great place to look. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really do think, I mean, you know, when I went to, 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 uh, Port Chatham, it's uninhabited, you know, and I, I went there before the TV show, just like, Okay. Uh, a year a year before um, I went uh, for the first time, to, and we were the first people that made camp. And it was so difficult to even get there. A, it was it cost a bunch of money, a ton of money, and I went with uh, a guy called Stephen Major who was funding it, and it cost it cost a ton of money to even get there. Wow. And then um, you know when we did get there, um, like even getting a boat, even getting a boat to take us out, people were like, we're not going there, man. See, <laughs> evil, and, and like, it's a really bad place, and like, no. There's a lot of rumors about it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They, it was like, they would not take us. Now, after we did that, and especially as we started to do the TV show, when I went like a year later, it was interesting, I, I saw a few boats in the vicinity, you know? Hmm. Now it's becoming more well-known, it's almost broken the seal, if you like. But when I went the first time, um, it was extreme. It was almost impossible. One guy would take us. It was like Captain Ahab taking us out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take you. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> that, would, that would be awesome, though. Um, I want to go back real quick and point something yeah. out that you were talking about um, when you were in, when you were uh, the other cre creature that you were talking about. I don't know how to say its name, but you talked about how the the villagers, the pygmies, knew of a male and a female. Yes. So that's important to note yes. because then that, 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 that means that reproduction is happening and that there's yeah. a possibility of more. Yeah, there has to be a sustainable population as a starting point, a minimum sustainable population. You need at least 20 to 50 subjects. You know, people say, well, where's the Yeti? Well, of course there can't be one because it's not immortal. There has mm -hmm. to be a breeding population. But you've raised a good point, you know, and what I'd, add, what I'd say to add to it is I brought flashcards of all the local and well-known species that were indigenous to the area. And I showed them to both the pygmies and to the Bantus, so the different tribes. And I say, well, you know, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? You know, for example, have you seen this type of monkey, you know? Have you seen this? Have you seen a gorilla? I saw gorillas while I was there, you know, yeah. And then I'd, I'd stick up pictures of ridiculous animals, like a unicorn, you know, to you know, I wasn't being disrespectful, but it's, mm -hmm. I've, I've got to see if the data has some validity mm -hmm. when I'm doing that. So, so I do that. And then I stuck up a picture of a sauropod dinosaur and they said, Mokilima membe, yeah? Now I don't think it's a dinosaur. Uh, myself, but it may be something that's very similar to it. But it was interesting that they pointed to it. So two control groups who were not linked in any way. So they were many miles apart, um, about 
at least 70, 80 miles apart through swamp jungle. They didn't have any contact with one another. They were di they were different groups. And mm -hmm. at the time when I did this exercise, they were very tribal, Vanessa. So, mm -hmm. you know, they didn't have TV or radio. They, I mean, they'd never seen, some of them had never seen anybody from outside of Africa before, you know, or even outside the tribes before. So I was something of a novelty. And they were giving the, me the same the same information, the same data. And that's encouraging. And I've done that with a few of these animals. I mean, you know, I did the um, Josh Gates show, the Expedition Unknown show, uh, which was the hunt for the Yeti. And off the camera, the, the farmer, well, we interviewed a few witnesses, but the, 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 the farmer there described how he had come across um, a Yeti. And it had been whistling. Um, it had been whistling, he'd heard this high-pitched whistling sound, which, you know, he'd heard. Mm -hmm. And he thought, it. first of all, it was one of his friends um, whistling in the fields. You know, he thought, well, that's probably just one of my friends whistling. So he had whistled back. He wasn't intimidated. He just thought it was a friend. And then he saw a yeti. And he saw that he described it, how it looked with its conical-shaped head and its sort of darky sort of red hair and he described how, how, how he'd seen it and, and this rapidity of movement anyway cut back years and years before i'm in mongolia on the border with kazakhstan and i'm talking to some kazakh herdsmen um because it's saturday and i had nothing better to do no no just because i just because i was there <laughs> just because i was there um, and and basically they 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 sort of said you know i said well they were telling me their account of the equivalent which was the almas and they said well you know we we heard this the first thing we did was we heard this really strange high-pitched whistling hmm. yeah so wow. my, my point is these are again here's another example of two completely separate isolated tribal peoples different tribes in this case thousands of miles apart yeah um, and the Kazakhs certainly had no access to TV, and yet they're describing a similar behavior pattern, which I think is quite encouraging. It's not its not going to shake the world, but it's encouraging. It makes me think, well, actually, some of these things probably still are around because these people are giving these descriptions, and they couldn't possibly have known about one another, or it's ex so extremely unlikely as to be almost impossible. Yeah, that is fascinating. Mm -hmm. You know absolutely how yeah two cultures no contact are describing the same thing and uh and what they're describing leads me into a, a, another question that i had for you that that i find interesting now on the show you did a, a call out to out to the hairy man and I, i've seen that um you know happen on other shows uh cliff berrickman did the the bat thing to try to you know call out the uh the bigfoot in, in one of the other episodes of the alaska triangle um, and, and I guess I'm curious as to that type of methodology, because I know when I go into the woods and I make a, like any bit of sound, the deer go running. So I'm just kind of curious as to, you know, how the calls and the different sounds and, and all those sorts of things work when you go out there and, and try to research. Well, it's a good question. I mean, first of all, it, it depends on what you're doing. So a lot of the time I'll creep through areas and I'll spend a lot of time observing and doing close call mm -hmm. observation and I'll wait a lot of it's quite tedious. It's not like exciting tromping through. You know, when I go out to, to jungles or or forests, I'll split my team up. I'll make sure I can see them. So, and then I'll say, right, 
nobody move for an hour yeah and then we'll find a new place and we'll do the same thing if i'm making a call it's normally because we're sort of near the end or, or near the end generally speaking it's because we're near the end of of, of, of the investigation not much has happened what have i got to lose yeah so yeah. I'll make a call. <laughs> you can give but, it a shot yeah, yeah yeah give it a shot uh, and and it worked with the alaska thing because mm -hmm. i gave a call um uh -huh. and and that happened but i'm not just giving one of these general howls that bigfooters sometimes do i'm not saying that i have a better methodology than them my my the thing that i'm doing is giving a direct grunt i've seen gorillas in the wild and what i'm doing is emulating a challenge call oh okay. yeah uh, so so the reason i'm making that noise is because i'm basically challenging the alpha male in the area and see if, seeing if i can spark him off seeing if he'll you know like yeah you know, right right along. <laughs> see if he'll come along uh, it's not i mean and sometimes it, it works yeah it's mm -hmm. not a general call you're right. I mean, I, I think these things are intelligent and they could well understand the difference with a human call as opposed to their own calls. You know, I hear orangs in the wild and they're often quite solitary and they'll make a specific call. I try and emulate it. I'm not bad at it, but mm -hmm. I could still tell the difference. Yeah, I can tell the difference. Sure. I'm sure they can. But this is more trying to get a reaction. It's okay. more trying to spark a reaction. So it's more specific. And that's what I'm doing as opposed to a general call. Well, and that wasn't that what you did um, in in the episode of the Alaskan Triangle. If I'm yeah. getting the timeline correct, you did that, um, and then you pulled out the th is it a thermal cam? Is that what that thing is? Yeah, it's like a night vision thing. Yeah, exactly. And that is when you guys actually got the footage of something that appeared to be bipedal, larger in the shoulder area, smaller in the hip area. Yeah, coming down. I mean, that's. That's fairly significant as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, I mean, it was it, I'd done that call a number of times. They filmed me, filmed me doing that call when I'm with Beans and Stephen in, in mm -hmm. the Alaska Triangle. But I'd done that call historically, and that had produced the footage. So, yeah, um, it, it did work. It has caused a reaction um, to, to, to the creature. And I've done that before. You know, I did it um, in the Olympic Forest, uh, the specific thing I did. And after it, there was a friend of mine called Shane Corson who left a, an audio um out and we got on that he got what seemed like ape-like grunts in the vicinity and i got ape-like what sounded like ape-like responses to it when i did it so um, there's some pedigree with it you know you're never gonna you know i mean and that 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 footage as you saw that was analyzed by dr robert alley and he says mm -hmm. well it's not definitive and i agree with him but it is something you can silly see some locomotion of something moving through the forest and it and as you said quite rightly vanessa the shape of it lends itself to being something bipedal so it's interesting so you know i i will i am not precious about ideas and, and things you know i'll try whatever i think might, <laughs> might work you know um i know for example that if we need to lure vanessa in we need to leave out a pepperoni pizza <laughs> <laughs> so, so 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 that's what we'll and, do and some you. queso because vanessa likes her <laughs> queso <laughs> <laughs> so, I, well, I ain't bragging if it's true right so so what what i'll do is i'll 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 you know i'll adapt my style to the different creation i'll also adapt my approach and i'll try things and some will work and some will work and that's that's good methodology you try things you say well that that has been more successful than others and you refine your approach and I, you know we'll see what happens i'm good with that 
Great, great. We do have a number of questions coming in here from the chat room that I've kind of been holding off on and just kind of stocking up here. So I do want to get to some of these. We'll start with Murtaza um, Arif. Now, we were talking at the time that he asked this question about some of these creatures and entities possibly disguising themselves, you know, due to what Vanessa had, had seen when she saw the footage. So his question is, do you think Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster may be such masters of disguise? Well, um, I think they that with Bigfoot it has to be highly intelligent. It has to have a high level of sentience and it has to have an ability to disguise itself in some ways, yeah? Um, so certainly, um, yes. The Loch Ness Monster, I'm not as convinced it exists. I think that that's probably um, a species of eel, yeah? But if you hmm. use the word monster, it sounds more attractive. Oh, of course. I think it's a large <laughs> eel. I've been to Loch Ness. If I said, welcome to the big grey eel visitor centre, um, there wouldn't be that many <laughs> If I say Loch Ness monster, you're on your way, you know. So, so you so, think if the Loch Ness monster does exist, then it's an eel? I, well, a type of eel, yeah. A type of eel. I'm okay. Not dis- I'm not dismissing. I'm not dismissing all of these uh, aquatic cryptids because mm-hmm. I saw the cellulose serpent. That right. That looked very much. It was very strange. It looked like a 17th century woodcut. You know, I got good scientific evidence of that. The, the hydrophone that we used was analysed by the Marine Research Institute of Bergen, and they said, "I'm astonished to say it's an unknown species." So I can make that claim because I've got scientific backing. I'm not just saying I saw something. You know, I, <laughs> I have I have got background to it. Good. So I don't want to, I don't want you to think that I'm dismissing all of these things. It's just, you know, it's important I tell you. That the truth about what my perception is i don't mind being wrong i have no ego about it but that's my that's my opinion good good uh from sharon lane she asks is bigfoot and or are are bigfoot and dogman using infrasound to confuse humans well i don't dogman it seems to be a completely different thing uh, okay. to me um that would be some sort of paranormal type creature mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't see how that. My, at the moment, I can't see how the genus goes for that. I can't see how a breeding population might be, unless it's misidentification of something as seeing with a snout. They're seeing some sort of ape-like creature because there's no, there's no, um, there's no physiological pedigree for a dog man. Yeah. So it ha- to me, it's something paranormal, and those things okay. are almost universally negative in my 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 understanding. Bigfoot's slightly different. Now, infrasound, um, I'm not aware of apes ever having used infrasound um, to any large degree. Tigers use infrasound. Uh, I'll give you a specific example. A friend of mine, Sahar, passed away now. Um, He was a great tracker, but he was in the place in Sumatra where I go quite a lot. And he said that um, he was on top of a lip in the jungle and there was a tiger lapping water and he said the tiger saw him and roared like this like that and he had his parang which is like a machete and he just he said he just could not move could not move and he, he said the tiger just jumped over his head over his head boom and was gone he could have killed him i mean they, wow. they, they that's crazy the time. <laughs> so i mean so so the answer to your question is i don't know i mean is, is the short answer um, right, right. it's not I, it's not impossible but i can't see a parallel in nature that is 
directly related in terms of the animal kingdom but there are animals who do do it so i'm not dismissing it okay I don't fair know. enough fair enough let me do one more and we'll get to some more of these uh in a little while so robert hannah uh, says i remember adam from history channel's monster quest when they went in search for the yeti in the himalayas did they find e any evidence of that um i did well let me answer this i did the abominable snowman the two-hour special for okay. uh the the history channel and not when I was on that one, just eyewitness accounts. Mm -hmm. When I was in, uh, when I was in Josh Gates's show, I went out tracking. I chose the area where we, where I wanted us to go for the show, so I chose the area. And there was this big entourage, you know, like the Ministry of Fun and I don't know the Agricultural Deputy Vice Commissioner of Foods. And there was this like wow. whole big crowd following us around. Okay. So I said, like, for the tracking thing, I just want. Uh, myself, Tuli had found a print previously on because uh, Josh is not a tracker, you know, so mm -hmm. uh, Tuli had found a print previously and um, myself, and I found a potential Yeti print, it certainly looked very consistent with a print on, on that show um, It's not, again, it's not definitive evidence, but I was very encouraged I'm going to give you a specific answer, so when I went to the west of the country I found very few reports one or two and so when I did the History Channel show, the Abominable Snowman show, I was a bit like, oh, is this dying out, you know? And then right. Josh Case's crew contacted me and said, we want to do a Yeti show, where are we going to go? And I thought, well, I'm going to go east because west was sucked last time. And this is the area I want to go because I was looking at the concentration of most recent accounts. And actually, it was an area where, which is near Everest, where there's actually a lot of tourists who do the do, do the trek up to base camp, to, to the base camp. Okay. But obviously, we went off trail because they follow a specific path yeah mm -hmm. right um, you know quarter of a mile out of that there's nobody but on that path that's where they are and i was encouraged by um the reports there and, and the evidence there so the short answer is no not on the history channel yes um in 2016. okay so knowing all the places that you've been and where you've been able to together as much evidence or or stories that you possibly could is there one that you want to return to or do you want to to go a completely different way and just kind of get your feet wet in a different area what is what's next what do you want to be next uh well i've enjoyed looking for the bigfoot in north america i have enjoyed that that's been enormous fun i've done that for a few years and i'm not exhausted that for now so you know i'd still do that for a few more years quite happily Eventually, I would certainly go back to look for the Yeti. I'd go to Sumatra. There's a couple of places in South America I'd like to go. There's a few places, but it's almost like I have two or three ideas in my head, and then one starts to gradually take shape and almost dominate. And and I'm in that process right now because, of course, you know, in January I was out in Florida and doing another investigation there. And, I was in the deserts in, in, in around here in February, March. I was in something in Washington, and of course, COVID nineteen came along, and that's it. Kabang. Yeah. Uh -huh. After that, after that, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll probably still do some more investigations in North America, and we'll, we'll take it from there. I'm not loath to going out and doing other things in different parts of the world, if if I fancy it. You know, I've done so many things. I'm kind of I'm quite chilled about it. I think, you know, when I was younger, I felt I had to prove something to myself, not to other people. I don't care what people think of me. But I, I, I was like, you know, well, I want to go to the Congo. I want to see if I can do it. And then I want to climb this mountain. No one has ever climbed this. And then I want to cross this jungle. And I want to be doing this desert. It's like now I'm like, well, you know, if I fancy it, I've done that. So we'll see. I don't know. 
I, I'm sorry to give you such an ambiguous answer. I think I think in the short term, I'll certainly do some Bigfoot stuff. In the longer term, I'm sure I'll go somewhere else outside of North America. Uh, but as to where, yeah, I'm not sure. Let, let me ask you this. If there was, because you're st- saying that was kind of a broad and ambiguous answer, but let us try to get a little more specific. If there's <laughs> one, I, we got to go here. If there was one place that you could explore or one type of creature or entity that you could finally define as this thing does exist or one final adventure of your life that you could you could go on what would be that one thing that you just had to do oh, oh not a final adventure surely mike you're not going to tell just... me i'm mortal no. <laughs> no. no tell me it isn't so um, no i'm only being frivolous it would have to be a hominid, yeah? I'm always mm-hmm. interested in, ape, in ape-like creatures. It, the, the epitome of all of this for me would be to just see one of those. And the icing on the cake to find some scientific evidence. So I would go anywhere, anywhere, where, be it 10 miles away from here or the other side of the asshole side of the world, <laughs> if, I, if, if, I, if it would be an opportunity to see one. That's what I want to do. I've seen a cryptid before. I've seen some very weird things, too, in different parts. That's a whole different talk. But I'd just like to see one of those. And I've been so close on one occasion in Sumatra, and I'd love to have an opportunity to see one. So that's what I want. It's not so much about the place. It's more about what I want, and it doesn't matter where it is. Fair enough. Fair enough. There you go. There, is that enough? (laughs) That's your answer, Mike. <laughs> you got it now. <laughs> Just, people always ask me questions like that. There's the one thing. So, but you know, because you do, because you do travel around the world and you have seen a lot. You've been to so many different places. I think it's a fair enough question to be. Yeah, okay, yeah, what is that mind. one thing? So that's cool. No, it's cool. totally cool. No, it's yeah. totally cool. Yeah. yeah. No, I, a, I, 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 Mike and I get that asked a lot too, and everyone always laughs at my answer. It's I want to go. Vlad the Impaler's castle. I want to spend the night in the uh-huh. ruins. I'll climb the I don't know how many thousands of steps. I don't care. <laughs> I think you can go there. I'm sure one of my friends has been there. No, but I, I want to go and stay the night. Yeah, I think you can go. You can go to. I'm sure you can go to that area. I don't know where this specific castle. I'll have to ask him. I've got a friend called Simon. I'm sure he's been there. Mm-hmm. Or been the, in ru- the ruins, not the not the one that's all fancy and set up oh, like no, an egg. Actual ruins. Yeah. The actual ruins. Well, I'm sure that can be arranged. It's an interesting place. Mm-hmm. Recently, I mean, he's the um, ultimate advent of, he's the ultimate example of war of attrition. You know, he, he te- his, his, his impaling of people turned back an army. They were so despondent because yeah. of all the impaling that they actually turned around. So he's a, he's a, um, He's a in, very interesting character. If you if you look directly behind me, do you see that shelf right there? Yes. That is from Romania, and it had Vlad the Impaler's face embossed on the shipping tag that was stuck underneath one of the shelves, and I found it in a uh, it was found for me in a thrift store for ten bucks, wow. covered in about an inch thick of dust. Oh, and that go. boy right there in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Well, again, it'd be interesting. It'd be mm-hmm. definitely be interesting. Yeah. So I, I mean, and I, and I, I, I am interested in the. No. Oh, Do we lose up. Sort of things too. I think. There you are. 
You froze up a little bit. Have I frozen? Yeah, there yeah. You, you kind of cut out, in and out. So, yeah. So, all I, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, all I was saying is with my, my first degree was in history. So I'm always fascinated in those things, you know, always. Oh, That's yeah. great. That was going to be one of my next questions was how deep you get into uh, the historical aspects of these places that you go visit. But you have a degree in history. So there you go. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's, well, you know, when I'm deciding, um, whether to go somewhere. So I have a degree in history and then I studied law. So I did a postgrad in law, postgraduate in law. Now, what does that give me? So as well as the ability to um, track, I also know how to collect and to quantify data and to analyze that. And also because I was a lawyer in court, I know how to cross examine people and to get the veracity of what they're saying yeah sometimes you there know you very well you know from your own investigations people will lie confabulate exaggerate, oh, yeah. guided all of those things um and you have to filter that information and it's not always perfect but you know one of the things that i, I i've been quite fortunate that some of the careers i've done have given me that opportunity to do those things reasonably um successfully so yeah I, and and it's important you look at the historical records Mike, because um, I'm not interested in things that, you know, it was always a question of my own time and money for, for a lot of it. So I wasn't interested in something that didn't have a historical pedigree, if you know what I mean. Yeah, oh, so absolutely. I wanted, I wanted that. So the Chupacabara um, was a, a creature that sort of came out of the sort of Mexico area, but it's mm -hmm. only got a pedigree and, and the islands the Caribbean islands, but it's only got a pedigree of about 40 years. I'm not interested in that. It seems to me to be a modern urban legend. Whereas right. something like the Orang Pandek has a legend, has history going back, historical records going back to the, 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 the 13th century. And the Yeti, the Yeti, the, the records about that and the Yaren in China go back thousands of years. So before the advent of modern religion, the old shamanistic tomes talk about all the creatures in Nepal. And they list all the creatures, and the Yeti is just one of them. Yeah, the Yaren um, paintings in China. You can look at these yourself. You can Google a painting of a Yaren, and they go back 400 BC. There's a, there's a hairy man, you know, and it's clearly a bipedal hairy man. Those sort of things um, add to the veracity of what I was looking for. So, you know, when I'm deciding where I'm going, because you were asking questions about where I'm going and what I might do, I look at I do look at the historical pedigree think about that i also look at um, whether the ecosystem can currently support it you know is there a viable population that could be supported we talked about that and what could it eat how could it live yeah. so i'm looking and in, and the, the third thing is do i really want to go and look for it you know i mean how much mm -hmm. do i want it because it was always on my own money yeah and some things you want to look for more than others just like you guys you might want to investigate some paranormal situations far more than others you know very true absolutely yep yeah, I'm saving right now for Scotland. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can completely understand that. <laughs> I completely get it. Let me grab a couple of more of these questions here uh, from Tom McNicholas. What would you do if you're able to capture and prove the existence of the Hairy Man Yeti or Bigfoot? Well, it wouldn't be for me to capture it in the sense that what I'd like to do is get some scientific data, mm -hmm. which can be analyzed and corroborated. Can that be so, done without actually capturing it? Would just, you know, cap getting something on film, would that be enough? 
well let me answer let me answer this way yeah. if you wanted to capture it you'd have to have a big scientific project yeah sure and yeah. that would be that would be beyond the resources of most individuals who are not scientifically funded because you then you'd be looking at um getting people with specific qualifications for example to dart i i don't think it's responsible for me to go and dart something that might be like a gorilla i don't know the dosage i'm not a trained vet true enough it would be very difficult so i'd have to get somebody with me who could do that and do it safely yeah so you would need a properly funded project what i can do um because i'm not a scientist i'd work with scientists so if that was a big funded project then i'd be up for it you know but we'd have to have the right people you know and i'm not that person to do that i think you have to have the right skill set in order to do that and do it efficiently so what you can do if you have if you're talking about a picture in order for to take the story further from my point of view, it would have to be a picture of a better quality than the Patterson-Gimlin film. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's the best quality at the moment. To take it further, it would have to be something of that quality. It's no good sending me a photograph of a blurry bush right. with a red circle <laughs> and saying, there's a big fly. I'm just not interested, man. I've had that many of those. I'm sure. Not bother, yeah? Um, um, and and a, a, it has to be of a really high standard. The second thing you can do, though, is you can get DNA evidence. And some people would say, well, habeas corpus, show me the body. And that used to be the case maybe when Grover Krantz was around. But that's not the case now. I know for a fact, and I'm not going to name them, but I know for a fact right now that, the, you know, if you had a DNA hair samples, if you had hair samples um, which were sufficiently unusual, I know we have to have a control and there's a whole different argument about DNA, that would be enough to move the story on further. A really good quality photograph would be enough to move the story on further to get, I think, those scientists, well, I don't think, I know this, to get scientific projects funded. And that would be my best mark, yeah? Okay. Um, I'm not going to be the guy who um, runs around shooting one, because, um, no. and, and also it's not necessary. What you need to, but but if you got a really good photograph and you got some sort of evidence, say a hair sample or something like that, that would be enough to move scientific circles forward to get a proper scientific study. So the best that um, people like myself should aspire to is how can we gather evidence which will shift the goalposts enough to interest the scientific community to get funding for a scientific study and that's where i am and i think you have to be realistic you know i don't care yeah, about it makes sense that you're, you're taking steps to be able to get yeah. there because yeah i would yeah. you know to be able to do something like that you would need, need maybe millions of dollars but yeah. you need to provide them with something first you know to whet their appetite in order to do something like that that makes sense well, I mean, not not to bring up the funky stuff, but I'm a mom, so I'm used to poo. Okay, um, has anybody ever? <laughs> okay, um, we're going down that any, route. Okay, <laughs> we're going down that rabbit hole. Okay, um, has anybody ever? Uh, granted, I don't I don't know about the hair or the fur. I don't know about that. I don't know about um, any trace DNA that they might have been able to find. But in the areas where there have been footprints that have been found and been able to be um, you know, plaster of Paris and cataloged and everything else. Have they checked the surrounding areas for droppings for scat? Well, some of them will, and some of them won't. It depends on how thorough they're going to be. You can get DNA from from, um, mm -hmm. from scat mm -hmm. uh, because because you know I don't want to get too graphic, but when you poo it out, some of that some of that residue mm -hmm. is left, particularly mm -hmm. you know at the start of a stool. 
<laughs> uh, and at the end possibly so 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 there we are so you can get that um, far too much detail leave it to me we just lost half the chat room no. <laughs> actually they're probably going to really dive into that we're going to see all the little poo emojis and everything going. i'm sure they can yeah <laughs> but, but the, the the i think there's a there's another point i'd make moving away from poo uh just for a minute um unless you two want to come back to it for some weird reason i'm good um, but the the the, 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 <laughs> the i'm only teasing you but but the 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 whole thing about dna and dna evidence is it's expensive to get it tested yeah mm -hmm. right and you know you can't just send a bag of poo off to it to a scientist and say test this crap there's going to be bigfoot in it so, so the way you know i can and I, I want to make that point i can get things tested because of, of the of the pedigree i have had but it's, it's it's not i don't want people to send poo to me either it has to be stuff that, it has to be stuff that i've personally found you know but there but there's a reason i'm asking that it isn't for dna it isn't for DNA. Um, in the grand scheme of things, in the animals that we know and that we are aware of, we have a general idea of what their dietary habits mm -hmm. are. Yes. Now, if you're talking about something that we are not uh, fully informed about, that is still considered a, a cryptid and, the, and that we need to learn a lot more about it, a collection of those type of samples and a comparison thereof could show you know, differentiating habits in, in eating habits and, you know, push us in the right direction of what to look for. Yeah, it absolutely could. But you've got to be, you've got to be very careful because a lot of people will say, oh, this is a Bigfoot poo or this is a Bigfoot hair. Mm -hmm. And the first question you need to ask when they're saying that is, did you actually see the Bigfoot having a crap? And the answer <laughs> is, no, I did not. Yeah. There's a Bigfoot yeah, shit oh, in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, well, <laughs> Wipes, get a video of ass. that yeah, yeah wipes his ass with the rabbit it's golden Vanessa. you can't get a video know, of a bear shitting in the woods so no <laughs> you know Vanessa we do have we, we do have the little side podcast that we do called the rabbit pellets so <laughs> <laughs> it's totally appropriate for that <laughs> <laughs> I had to go there. I had to go there. It's no, right. it's cool. No, it's, they're, they're valid questions. But it, it, I mean, it, it comes back to that point. Did because people in who connected with Bigfoot, you have this point. You know, they 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 want to they want to be experiencing things. You know, so they'll say, you know, I had a, I had a woman who was like, oh, you know, well, um, I, I see eyes shine. I see eyes shine. It must be a Bigfoot. And I'm like, in the Aaron, and I'm in the area with her. I said, no, it's the moon. It's the moon. No, it's Bigfoot. I see Bigfoot in the woods and he's looking at us now. And I'm like, it's the moon. And I had to, phys <laughs> <laughs> I had to physically walk her over in a very nice way to oh. where we could clearly see the moon, you know, through the trees. Because the first thing was, oh, it's Bigfoot and it must be Bigfoot. So you've got uh -huh. that level of, 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 of wanting self-validation. So, um, you know, it's, and all of these tests cost time and money. You know, you, I, I don't want to be, I'm not going to be testing a, a, a feces <laughs> right. directly. You know? Believe Leave me, that to the scientists. I understand. We're in the paranormal field. <laughs> Believe me, we understand it being the moon and someone going, if, no, no, it's something that, else. Does an apparition shit in the woods. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. 
All I'm saying. <laughs> you <laughs> never I'm know. So, Apparently a lot. <laughs> well, we're getting down to the last few minutes of the show. Um, I do want to get some of these other questions in because there are some good ones in here. Um, so we're not going to have time for all of them, guys. I, I apologize for that. But uh, Murtaza Arif asks... Um, much geography is unexplored. We don't know what's out there, especially oceans and vast landscapes of Russia and Australia. Which uh, ecological system is the most unexplored? Well, the the oceans are the most unexplored. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the ocean, most of the, I mean, there are vast swathes of the ocean that, that, that have not even been mapped properly. And some of that data is classified because some of the data that uh, the mapping has done been, for example, by by submarine and submarine technology, and that's not open to be shared um, because that th those can be defense secrets. Right. But yeah, there's th there's many new species in, in in the ocean. You only have to drop a submersible. I can guarantee you now, if you and I dropped a submersible um, in the oceans of Antarctica, we'd find new species within a day or two. So yeah, oh, yeah. I believe that. Uh, Undiscovered Beasts and Strange Phenomena asks, would Adam consider eDNA, environmental DNA, conclusive evidence of an unknown animal? That's a good question. Well, mm -hmm. eDNA is the, is the new thing, yeah? So that's the idea, you know, and that's been used in, in Loch Ness recently. Uh, whether it meets the threshold of conclusive evidence is difficult to say. What it certainly would be would be enough to generate a scientific problem which I talked about earlier on so I made that point so if you were to get eDNA say from I don't know an area where you think Bigfoot might have nested or you were to get use eDNA in Loch Ness and they did come up with something substantive and interesting then a proper scientific project would take place so the answer to your question is it would it would it would start a project extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof but there would be enough will to get that proof on the basis of the eDNA Okay. okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And then uh, one more here. Victoria Monday, are Yetis Bigfoot and the Abominable Snowman the same creature, just in different regions? No. Um, the, the, the short answer is the Yeti, the, the, the different physiological uh, descriptions of the Yeti. So in, in very synopsis, very, very quickly, because I know we've not got much time. Yetis are not white. They're normally brown. They're different types of Yeti. Some are, some are bears and some are actually a hominid. Um, the hominid is normally around six feet tall with a conical head, sort of um, dark brown to um, ready colored hair. Bigfoot can be much bigger, you know, they, they can be seven feet plus. Hmm. It's more physically robust, particularly in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and they do have a similarity in that there's not necessarily a sophistication of tool use or fires and things like that. But they have different characteristics. So they're different different relics in isolated pockets of the world we think i'm not sure because nobody's got that evidence but right. this is my this is my opinion rather than my assertion based on fact all right there you go fantastic i uh, appreciate you uh taking the time to answer some of these uh viewer questions and guys we really appreciate you submitting them so we couldn't get to all of them so i apologize to those that we weren't able to get to um we'll, just have to have them back. we'll have to have them back for sure so adam where can everybody find you your website social media and uh i know we have the whole covid thing going on but any other projects later in the year that you might be working on well, uh, I've just released my new book. You can find that on Amazon, Extreme Expeditions 3, Bigfoot versus the Yeti, which talks about a number of things that uh, we've talked about. Um, and on my author page, there's 
The second one has been reformatted and the first one will be out soon. You can find me on Facebook, Adam Davis, on Facebook. And I have a website, adamdavisexplorer.com. So you can find me there. And, uh, you know, I regularly update that page with first before anywhere else um, with my what I'm going to do next or after I've just come back. So you can find me there. All right. And they've Fantastic. actually, uh, Quarantine Ghost put the the links into the chat. So Yep. Very cool. Thank, Thank you, you for putting the links down there. Absolutely. So, and um, I think they're in the description as well. Um, I was a little rushed today, so I'm not sure if I got them in the description or not, but I usually do. <laughs> so, uh, but Quarantine Ghosts, thank you for getting on that. All right. All right, Adam, absolutely appreciate having you on. We'll definitely have to have you back. And um, good luck. Good luck. And stay safe out there. It's been my pleasure. Uh, thank you very much for having me, Mike and Vanessa. It's been lovely to meet you. You Absolutely. too. You have a great night. Bye. You too. Bye-bye.